millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Located in Central Florida, Reformation Bible College seeks to equip students in the knowledge of God and His holiness, that they may glorify and enjoy Him in any career they enter. The founder of RBC, Dr. R.C. Sproul, carefully designed the curriculum to provide students with a classical education that is distinctly Reformed. In addition to receiving a firm theological foundation in the Reformed tradition, students have the opportunity to grow as they know, serve, and worship the Lord together in community with like-minded believers. Whether attending a weekly chapel service, catching up with a neighbor in the on-campus residence hall, or meeting with a professor at the cafe, and RBC Education provides students with plenty of opportunities to take the biblical truth learned in the classroom and put it into daily practice. Incoming students can win a full tuition scholarship for their first year of on-campus studies through RBC's annual essay contest. This year, students are invited to submit essays on themes related to the Apostles' Creed. Entries must be received by March 1st, 2024, so start writing today and enter to win at reformationbiblecollege.org slash essay. If you'd like more information about RBC, visit reformationbiblecollege.org or send an email to admissions at reformationcollege.org. Hello and welcome to Dwell, a Circe Institute podcast for homeschooling moms by homeschooling moms. I'm your co-host Renee Mathis here with Karen Kern. Hello, Karen. Hi, Renee. So good to see you. So good to see you too. And we have a special guest with us today, and um, her name is Valerie Abraham. And I first met Valerie way, way back in 2016 in Texas when she was at a regional conference with her big brothers, who, uh, if you are homeschooling, you are familiar, no doubt, with Roman Roads Media. And so David and Daniel were there. Valerie was not married, but a lot can change since 2016. And now she is married to the wonderful Matthew, and they have 
three lovely, sweet little boys and a growing family. And I will let her tell you more about that. So uh, we wanted to have Valerie on today because she is a friend of Cersei, a friend of Karen and I. And so um, we just wanted to catch up with her and and we thought it would be a fun conversation for you to listen in on. So Valerie, welcome. We are so glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here and to get to catch up with both of you. It's been far too long. Yeah. So, uh, so why don't you just start by telling us um, a little bit about your family and, and where you are now and how you got there. So um, Matthew and I got married in um, in 2016, actually, and uh, he was living on the other side of the country in Tennessee, good old Rocky Top. And um, I moved down there after we got married, my first time living in the South since um, since I was a baby, basically, and um, spent about 18 months in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then moved to right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where we got to be friends with um, everyone at Cersei and build some of those relationships that we, we uh, really, really valued there. And then... Uh, in 2022, we started thinking about it in 2021, then moved in 2022, decided to make the move to be closer to family because most of my family is in the Northwest in Northern Idaho. So we moved here um, and that was a big change in many different ways. Um, so we moved to a little rancher house uh, with our three boys. And then um, about six months ago, found out that another one was joining our family due in December. And right around that time, also decided that it was time to probably add on. We started with like, let's just add on a bedroom to the house. And then the more we talked to our contractor, the more we talked to um, an architect, it just sort of kept growing until finally we went from, let's see if we can just add a room, maybe do a little renovation to let's just take the house down to the slab and rebuild completely. (laughs) Oh, I didn't realize it was that extensive. Yes. So we and it was also very funny timing because um we were waiting on paperwork to go through we had some trips coming up this summer for both family and work and we were just sort of living in a little bit of a limbo for a while like okay at some point we're going to go ahead and start this big renovation process not quite sure when that will be working with plans and permitting and everything and then um the morning we left for uh, Matthew's family reunion on the east coast we found out that all the paperwork was Uh, ready to go through and our um, contractor was ready to start. So with about 90 minutes to spare before leaving for the airport, um, we found out that we are going to come back to no house, basically. Um, (laughs) So we, we threw what we could into, you know, the essentials that we thought we would need into a box. And our contractor was really, really kind and gracious man was like, you know what, I will hire, there's some kids, um, that I work with from the school, actually the school that I graduated high school from, um, I'll hire them to pack up your house for you if you want, and we'll just do everything for you while you're gone. So we threw the essentials that we thought we would need into a box. And then there were a few things that I forgot, called my sister. um, And then she came over to our house and packed those things too, put them in a separate box. And then we came back to a completely gutted house. They had done everything up until the actual demo work. And then the demo started the week we got back from from that trip. So it's been an adventure since then. Wow. So now your house is gutted. How long is how long has this process been? Like how many weeks have you been living in a trailer? Yeah, you have to tell us about that. Where are you? Oh, yeah. so that's that's <laughs> we, what I think our, our listeners would really like to know. How do you live in a trailer with three children? 
you have chicken and you live in the country, you have goats and all these things. How do you do this? It was, oh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a learning process that never ends. It was a good reminder and gratitude because our house in Concord was quite a bit larger. And then this little rancher that we moved to was about half the size of our house in Concord. And it was easy to be discontent about size and everything. And then moving into a an RV after that shed a little bit of perspective on just how much room we actually had. You know, we actually had a bedroom for the kids then. <laughs> Currently, they sleep in sleeping bags on the living room area floor of the RV, um, which they think is great fun. And it's making great memories, I think, for them. Although Francis did say something to me. Francis is our oldest. He's five. And he said something to me the other day about wanting to sleep in a real bed someday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, so we we moved into an RV as soon as we got back from that trip. Um, And then it does help that we have family living nearby. So there's been a few times where, you know, there's been a major problem that's come up with the RV and we've been able to go stay with them for a little bit. Um, or sometimes with Matthew's trips, we will get to follow him on those trips. And uh, hotel living has never sounded so amazing as when you've not been sleeping with a real roof over your head. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's been kind of a, a very hodgepodge feeling season. So that started in early July. That was when we came back to the gutted house, moved into the RV um, that it was funny timing too because we were buying the RV from someone we knew who was basically they dropped it by that night so we arrived to an empty house with our suitcases thinking like okay we need somewhere to sleep tonight <laughs> there are no beds left and then thankfully it worked out the timing was perfect even though it was very snug timing the friend was able to bring the RV from where they lived and we were able to get it set up for for that first night um and then so that was let's see, mid-July, and then um, our hope is to be done first week of November. So, you know, a construction project never goes exactly according to plan. We are um, moving forward in hope, with much hope and expectation, but knowing that curveballs are, I'm sure, inevitable, but it's been a remarkably smooth process so far. Wow. So I have a question, like, so, um, backtrack a little bit. So when you left Concord, um, I remember talking to you the very last, one of your last days, we met at Preston Port outside Goldberry. Remember yes. chatting with you. And the reason, part of the reason I assumed that you were leaving there was that Matthew was leaving his job as an emergency room surgeon and was right. going to be going out there to see family and was going to set up some kind of a surgical right um can right. you tell us where the process that is like has is he is he in the process of opening like what is and i'm sure there are very very many hoops to jump through you just don't go out and decide you're going to be you know set up a surgical clinic you have to do all the things right yes speaking of adventures it's uh it's it's funny stepping back and realizing how many different areas of life we managed to completely turn upside down in a short time not just you know one isolated area but every possible facet of life including Matthew's job so um he maybe three years ago um started having interesting conversations with friends family colleagues 
about um, just the future of healthcare, future of medicine, and what needs to change to make it a, a better model that actually serves the patient and the physician, um, restores that relationship instead of just serving big corporations and industrial, basically industrialized medicine. Um, so he uh, decided to join forces with my brother, actually, who has a background in business, at, actually was working in education with Roman Rhodes um, before this. I have two brothers. It can be confusing. So one still works in education. And then the other one, David, um, is the one now working with Matthew. So they joined forces to uh, move forward on this project called Veritas Surgery, which is basically a um, the, uh, the, the core concept for a free market surgery center. Um, some people have heard of the Oklahoma Surgery Center. It's kind of the prototype for this. And then Veritas is taking that model, bringing it to the Northwest with its own kind of twist, working with um, local physicians, local facilities as well. And um, it's been a long and very arduous process, but a lot of exciting progress. A lot of things moving forward. Um, yeah, there's he's actually at the point of... Um, scheduling surgeries for October. So you caught us at just the right time because we are right in that transition moment where we're moving from here's all the plans to here we are actually starting to schedule schedule patients, which is a very exciting uh, place to be in, even if it's taken a lot longer to get here than, than we initially thought. Because as anyone who has ever dealt with the medical system, either as a patient or a provider knows, there is a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. Yeah. Now you mentioned, so little Francis is five and then who are the other two? So Francis is five. George is four. Henry is two. And then we're calling the little one inside Rosie until she's born. And then we'll give her her more permanent name because she'll be a um, rose among thorns when she's born with three brothers to protect her and give her a very rough and tumble life. Oh, a little girl. You must be so excited. That's that's yeah. so fun. I was a little intimidated, honestly, at first. In fact, I was recently listening to your episode on daughters, trying to take all the notes I could. <laughs> oh, goodness. How do you raise daughters? This is very different. <laughs> I, I love your RV story, Valerie, because I mean, I can relate when Steve and I moved here and, and we moved in first with my parents. And so we were, you know, four adults in a very, very small, small house. And then we moved from there into his wood shop that we had turned into an apartment. And, oh, wow. and we lived in basically, you know, I don't know, 300 square feet or something. It was very, very small in the wood shop. No, we didn't have kids and we weren't trying to homeschool. So, But I remember when we moved into our house, it was like, I'm so thankful that we had a place to live for these past few months. I'm never going back. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it because I I met your RV before you all lived in it because Scott That's and Tammy cool. were here and um, they were a part of Kepler Education was doing some classical education conferences during the summer and they we hosted one at our church here in Alexandria. And I remember talking to Tammy about, you know, why the RV? And she said, well, it's so much more cost effective to travel around in that than try to book hotel rooms all across the country all summer long for this mm -hmm. series of conferences. And I said, what are you going to do with it when you're done? And she said, you know, are you all going to travel the world together? And she's like, no, no, we're just going to sell it. And, and, and you know, someone else will have it. And, I'm like, and here you are. <laughs> so great. That's that really plan. Funny. Got a small world connection. Yes, that's so fun. 
So are y'all, um, I would tell us, I, I wanted to talk about, are you, I, I was going to say homeschooling, but the, the oldest is five. Are you, are you planning on doing anything formally educational right now? Or are you just putting all that on hold for a while? Yes and no. <laughs> I'm, I have to keep reminding myself. This is, I think, been one of the learning curves this year is just learning to to live in a little bit of limbo and simultaneously enjoy everything for what it is, but also not put everything on hold, find the things that really matter that need to keep going, um, like spending time with the kids or, you know, making sure their love tanks are filled, not just not not just the survival mode. Um, but um, so right now, uh, Henry, we're not doing anything, obviously. Um, he's two. And then George and Francis were just starting to do a little bit. Um, George could go either way, I felt like this year, but Francis was getting to the stage where he he really needed, even if I didn't feel entirely ready, he really needed something to challenge his mind more because, you know, classic oldest child personality, he just wants to take on the world. Um, so it's actually worked out in, in a really unexpected and um, more unusual situation than than I would have thought. What we've ended up doing is sort of like a miniature cousins co-op because um, all the older cousins, you know, all have their own things going on. Some are at a private school, some are homeschooled, some do a lot of online school with Kepler Academy. And then um, the preschool age cousins, though, don't have as much going on, obviously. And we realized that basically by all coming together, we could almost form our own little miniature co-op for the preschool age cousins. Um, not something that would burden the mothers more when they're already trying to handle so much with the older kids schooling, but just something that would be a little bit of a break for the mothers and um, provide some, the idea of, you know, enrichment, good good fodder for the imagination, for the brains of, of the little ones um, and time fellowshipping together as well. So I talked to a young lady I had been working with as a mother's helper who just was incredible with our kids and said, hey, crazy idea. What would you think of taking on even more kids? <laughs> And doing things like nature walks with them, a little science lesson every week, um, a little music appreciation lesson. So a little bit inspired by Charlotte Mason, um, but also just kind of putting her own twist on it and keeping it very low key. And that way the mothers, so they get a little bit of time during that window to spend with the other kids or have, even if they need just a mother's morning out kind of thing. And because it's just once a week. Um, and then they can either just leave it as it is, especially for the younger ones, because the youngest is just under four in the co-op. Um, or they can build on that. So like with Frances, trying to take that a little farther, build on what she's doing to do a little bit of, um, you know, basic phonics this this semester as well. But um, keeping it very low key and one step at a time until baby comes. And then after baby comes, we'll see, see how much I'm up for then. And basically, one day at a time and um, trying to remember that there there's lots of time to to keep building or correct course or anything down the road. I don't have to have it all figured out because as Matthew pointed out to me when I was trying to think through all this, get it planned, um, it's easy to freeze up because you want to do everything perfectly right off the bat, research all the curriculum ideas, research all the approaches, and it's okay to just kind of jump in, start and figure it out as you go. So that's been what I've been working on doing this year. That's that's the best advice right there, you know, for somebody with a kindergartner or a preschooler like you have to just jump in with what you have. 
and enjoy the time. And and because there's so much time ahead of you where you have to have a, you know, pretty, pretty great plan. Like by the time they're in middle school, you have to have a plan. So just enjoy the time. That's really good advice. Love that. I think that's um, one of the things that I've, I was just thinking about this this morning, having kids as the youngest of my own family has been a huge blessing in that sense, because I get to see all of my sisters and sisters-in-law going through these stages ahead of me, but also going through them with multiple kids, because I think it's such a temptation as a a mom just starting into those stages to take it very, very seriously and and get really, really stressed about it. Um, and it's it's helpful just seeing them go through it and watching them juggle younger kids and older kids and just get a bigger picture of where where that ship is going and what's actually necessary at the different stages it kind of helps you step out of the the stress bubble that you can create for yourself. How many of your siblings are in your community? Like when you say the cousins and how many cousins are there? There are a lot of us now. <laughs> so four, uh, four of my siblings, including myself, um, live here and my parents live here as well. Um, and then Matthew is in the middle of five siblings. So um, unfortunately, we're a little farther geographically from that side of the family because um, they're kind of spread out all over. But yeah, four of my siblings live within about um, 15 minutes of each other. And then my oldest sister lives in France. Oh, right. right. But there are, let's see, I think we counted up recently 22 cousins um, just in Idaho. Wow, that's such a blessing. It's really yeah. kids to have that, you know, that immediate friend group. That's how, so with our kids, everybody lives in town except for our, you know, our youngest, but all the cousins live in town. And then two more cousins are on the way. And they're like, so our youngest grandchild just turned four, and then we're going to have the next little generation of cousins. Such a blessing, you know, for them to be best friends and cousins. Yes. Lord willing, lifelong relationships being built. And speaking as a grandmother, your mom must be just over the moon excited <laughs> to have all of y'all right right there and just to be so close. <laughs> it It is a pretty uniquely wonderful situation. Um, and yeah, right now we're seeing them a lot in particular because they are one of the closest ones to us um, where we're building. They live actually on the same road down the road. And one of the complications with RV life is that you're very limited in water usage. So with five people living in an RV, we end up having to go over there quite often for showers and baths and things like that. And laundry. I'm sure yeah. that and laundry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of the details I hadn't really thought about until we were um, just about to come back from our trip. And I realized, wait, I don't think there's a washing machine in the RV. <laughs> I'm going to have to find a solution for this, but. My mom has been very graciously um, letting us barge in at all times of day and night and using the whatever facilities are needed. Oh, that's great. Well, tell us about the the non-human residents on your your yes. homestead and, and what all of you learned about lately. <laughs> so um, part of why we really fell in love with this house, which we actually ended up having to buy sight unseen, um, we sent some family over to FaceTime us and look at it for us. And then um, because it's kind of a crazy housing market up here, as it is in much of the country, we had to just kind of jump on it. Um, and then so it's on six acres um, and it already has a lot of established um, just love and care that's been put into the land. So there's a little orchard with apple trees, cherry tree, pear tree, two cherry trees and a pear tree. Um and some raspberry bushes, you know, different fruit things, um, 
And then let's see, there was a chicken coop already set up, completely ready to go. Um, we actually inherited a couple of ducks and chickens from the previous owners. And um, then there was, uh, let's see, oh yeah, a fenced garden as well. Fenced garden is essential out here because of deer. Um, high fence <laughs> and uh, a duck run as well. So it was really a pleasure to, we knew we wanted to start cultivating just a little more of um, uh, living, living a little closer to where our food came from. Um, you know, not in every sense, especially this season of life, there's been plenty of DoorDash and plenty of frozen food, <laughs> but we wanted to, you know, just start finding ways that, that we could start cultivating um, a lifestyle that our kids, um, you know, would know where their food came from, would be involved in that process more um, and start start just thinking about the broader aesthetics of of uh, not just food, but make, being creative in a way that would produce things for them. Um, so let's see, we jumped in a little bit over our heads. We, I think it was in the first month or so, we ended up with goats, chickens, cats, Oh, bees started pretty quickly as well. My husband um, has gotten into beekeeping. Um, I feel like there's something I'm forgetting. And then shortly after that, we added sheep and a second dog as well, an outdoor livestock guardian dog. Um, so wait, do you, so you have the care and keeping and feeding of your children and yes. the care and keeping and feeding of all these animals. <laughs> <laughs> good thing and how much time you know goes into that because it, it, it you know you have to do the work so what does that look like for this stage honestly not as much as you would think um the cats are barn cats so they're very low maintenance the sheep and so the goats actually we basically we had them overlapping for a time and then we decided to switch completely to sheep so now we're doing sheep only, but I found the key with both sheep and goats is to find very sturdy uh, breeds that don't require much maintenance. So we've, in the year that we've been here, we've had to call the vet just once. And that was for a very um, low key thing. And um, let's see, our goat kitted, it was actually a shared goat. We <laughs> were basically rotating pastures between whoever had the best pasture for the season, between my brother who lives down the road and, and us. So our shared goat um, kitted, had kids in January, which was unexpected because we thought she was due quite a bit later. And it turns out that goats don't have a reputation for nothing, at least male goats. Um, so there we had a buck early on that we ended up eating because he was getting a bit aggressive. So speaking of, you know, kids learning where their food comes from. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we we started with, they had the dough, we had the buck, and then we would keep them together at times. And we thought we knew when they had been together during a volatile time. Turns out that um, they had actually gotten together a little earlier. Um, tethers don't necessarily keep animals apart as well as you think they do. So she was pregnant with kids. <laughs> Um, earlier than we expected and kitted completely out of the blue we were trying to figure out why on earth we heard all these weird noises late one night on one of the coldest nights of the year um, it was I think single digits Fahrenheit and uh, I, I think the dog was going crazy like so she knew something was up and then the goat because she was in labor was pawing the ground and making all these strange noises. So finally we went out to check and found kids waiting for us, already born. How many? 
there were so there were three originally one died before we got there and then two were robust and um we had to dry them off very quickly one lost the tip of its ear in the cold which is pretty common with goats born in winter if you don't get to them right away um but they they made it through fine we were rubbing them off with towels and stuff brought them into our laundry room in our house <laughs> because it was too cold in the stable um along with their uh, mother and um i learned how to milk basically milk a goat in in our laundry room <laughs> Oh. A friend came over and showed me how and showed me the ropes when I was completely like, I didn't even know I would have kids yet. Goat kids. Um, you know, we, I hadn't even started researching kid care yet or anything. And um, we sort of had a, uh, yeah, got thrown in the deep end and learned how to swim very quickly on that. Um, and then eventually phased those out, which, you know, does... If you're in the pet mentality, it can sound shocking, but <laughs> phasing out with livestock does generally mean that they end up on the dinner table. So once they were grown enough, we ended up eating them. And then um, the mother, we're still hoping to breed. Um, Daniel and Lydia, who have her now, are going to hopefully get more kids, keep that dairy cycle going as well, because goat milk, I discovered to my surprise, is delicious. So then after that, we focused more on sheep and um, got Icelandic and Finnish sheep, which I highly recommend because they are beautiful and almost no maintenance. They forage. They hardly need any grain. Um, they basically just need a field and water and occasional pats and hellos. So do you have a dog like who protects their animals from predators or whatever? <laughs> she is adopted she has adopted us more than the animals, but we got a livestock guardian dog in November. Um, and she is, she was uh, two, years, two years old when we got her. Um, and she is half Pyrenees, Great Pyrenees, so very classic livestock breed. And then half uh, Karakachin, which is a breed I wasn't even familiar with. It's a um, Bulgarian livestock shepherd. And um, she's just been amazing with the family. She likes to play with the sheep a lot. So we actually try to keep her out of the pasture, which is kind of counterintuitive usually livestock dogs stay 24 7 with the stock but um she is she still does the job in that she stays outside she monitors for predators because on six acres it's small enough that it's not like we have to send her out with a whole flock it's just a few sheep um and so she keeps the coyotes away very effectively and um has helped us keep kittens alive as well because kittens in the countryside are very hard to keep alive between owls and coyotes and any other threats but we have three now that have survived so that's that's been good progress goodness so how do you how do you go from like zero not knowing how to do any of this to i mean obviously you're just thrown in the deep end but how did you learn how to take care of animals and how to play in all this and what was that process like um, lots and lots of Googling and then realizing eventually that Google is both your best friend and your worst enemy because everyone has opinions. Often they're conflicting and often, especially when it comes to very small scale homesteading type activities, um, a lot of the resources you find are geared towards much larger farms, either very big homesteads or just industrial agriculture, basically, which it looks very different from, you know, the things that are necessary versus you could do, could not do. Um, so I think the biggest key was finding someone locally who can come alongside you and walk you through the steps and tell you 
this is what the internet says. This is what's actually necessary. Um, and also just give you a vision for where you're going and how to, to enjoy the process and hearing from another human too, not just, you know, a document on raising animals, like hearing uh, this friend's stories um, that I ended up meeting with, uh, all her, her mistakes that she made, um, the, the successes and the failures, and it made it feel a lot more approachable and um, also just humanized it like it's okay you're going to make mistakes and that's not the end of the world because I think also the internet can be as everyone knows these days a very uncharitable place so it's very hard to then ask for advice on the internet you'll be like what did you do with your animals didn't you spend five years researching before you got your first sheep <laughs> um, there there's not uh much grace for mistakes so finding someone who comes alongside you and says it's okay to make mistakes. This is how we learn. This is how we um, go back to this kind of lifestyle that a lot of us didn't grow up with is very, very helpful. You found a mentor. Isn't that classical? Yes. I love that. Exactly. <laughs> I found a Virgil to guide me through a very dark wood of sheep and goats. <laughs> I love that. So do you have advice? Let's say somebody maybe isn't in your exact situation of living in a trailer um, and learning how to, you know, have a, this kind of a homestead. But what advice do you have for anybody who's finding themselves in a very challenging time? Um, something has come up that's new or they didn't, they didn't think it was going to be this way or it's harder than they thought, or, you know, I mean, you know, young parents often have that situation where they've moved somewhere or they're, they're anticipating change. So, right. you know, however you interpret that. That's a very open-ended question, but um, advice, I guess. That is a good question. I feel like there's so many different yeah. different facets yeah. to it. Um, taking it on a very broad level uh, as a homemaker and a mother, I think finding ways to create beauty ends up being one of the most important things. Um, that's, you know, obviously a little more meta than the practical side of homesteading or surviving difficult seasons. But by, I think that, you know, beauty is not is not optional ultimately to thriving. And that I yeah, think can really help. I saw I saw a photo you posted of dinner was some yes. Instagram somewhere. You showed you showed your Sabbath dinner in your trailer around your little table, but you had flowers and pretty dishes or something. And I think maybe that that was the point of your photo was to say, you know, here we are in our trailer, but we're making it beautiful. Right. And it's been a learning process because I think everyone's personality is different. I think for me, sometimes I've been tempted when in a kind of survival season to just sort of retreat and hunker down and just do the bare minimum and get through and learning to sort of push myself to look outside, find ways to not just make it through, but but make it an enjoyable process, whether for the kids or for us, does does make a huge difference. So finally, after what was it, two months of living in the RV, um, a friend was selling floral wreaths from her flower farm on Instagram. And I thought, you know what? I don't have a front door to put that on right now, but I can just hang it up in the RV. <laughs> and and for a while, so I normally love burning beeswax candles a lot in our home. And for a while I just thought, oh, I, I can't burn candles right now. I just I just can't. It's too, you know, too many safety variables, too many, it's just too small a space. And then I realized, wait, why am I actually holding off on this? I mean, the thing is I use a gas stove in the RV um, regularly anyway. So it's not like having a flame is is that big of a deal in and of itself. And I realized that's just another area where I'm tempted to just kind of 
just push it off. Just keep waiting until life gets better, till circumstances feel better to do that kind of thing. So I went ahead and just bought a beeswax candle and realized, oh, this actually makes a really big difference to the otherwise not very aesthetically pleasing environment of a little early 2000s camper with the, you know, very faded furniture kind of aesthetic um, or eating off of paper plates, which isn't normally my preference, but I've learned for this season of life is kind of something necessary. So something like flowers on the table and a beeswax candle can really offset that and remind you that um, that there's a lot more going on than than just the surface sometimes appears to make you feel like is going on. That's really good advice. And I think that your spirit of gratitude and joy, despite, you know, the inconvenient circumstances or whatever, I'm really shine through. So um, it's a learning process. It's very sanctifying. <laughs> there are, I would say there are a lot of opportunities for repentance on a daily basis. Sure, there, there always are, right? But when you're in a small space with your whole family, even more so. So, yes. So, oh, um, yeah. Renee want, and I want to thank you for being on our episode today. And um, for our listeners, um, look out because we are about to record a second episode and that will be up shortly. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Renee and Karen. It has been a pleasure. Keep listening. Here's to home.